Hello there and welcome to the Racing Home podcast brought to you by Women in Racing and Simply Racing with support from the Racing Foundation and Kindred Group. I'm Naomi Meller, an equine vet and podcast producer, and in this podcast we're talking about work and family. It's challenging being a parent, whoever you are and whatever you do, and it's particularly challenging being a parent when you work in horse racing. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. So how can we best help people manage being both great parents and valued members of the racing family? Following the Racing Home Research Project, in this podcast we'll be exploring ideas around parenthood and career progression and how to do things differently. I'll be talking to trainers, jockeys, physiotherapists and a host of the sport's experts and decision makers about their experiences, their stories and how together we can shape a positive future for all families in horse racing. If you've not heard of Racing Home before and you've no idea what it's all about or why it exists, then you've come to the right place. In our first episode today, I'm chatting to Tallulah Lewis, Chair of Women in Racing, and Kate Clayton-Hathaway of Oxford Brooks University, who spearheaded the Racing Home research. They're here to give you the lowdown on what's been done so far and what you can expect in future. As a bit of background, back in 2017, Women in Racing and Oxford Brooks released their first piece of research together on women's representation and diversity in horse racing, which received an incredible response from the racing world and led to the formation of the Diversity in Racing Steering Group that many of you will have heard of. We repeatedly heard in that first research project that raising a family when you worked in racing was really, really tricky. We heard about pockets of brilliant supportive practice and some less than ideal examples of how mums and dads were treated by their employers. And we heard a lot about women leaving the industry when they'd had kids, even when they didn't want to, because it was all just a little bit difficult. This led to the idea of looking into parenthood and family life in the racing industry in a bit more detail, as Tallulah explains. Yeah, so the research obviously flagged that there was a barrier there and there was an issue. And then following that research, we very much had lots of anecdotal evidence and conversations with our members. We keep in good touch with our members. Um, We like kind of hearing their feedback on what they've got to do. And we could just hear from them that there was an issue um, coming out about motherhood and it being quite a taboo subject for people and that they're not really knowing how to navigate it And then we had this massive issue around sustainability in the sport and, you know, people leaving in their sort of early to late 30s and not returning. And we knew the numbers around the people in the industry was women leaving the sport and not returning. And we sort of decided that we were joining lots of dots here and we could kind of figure out just from our own, you know, conversations that that might be the issue, that there's a barrier with motherhood, families, returning to work. But we didn't really know the kind of the crux of the issue and we didn't want to make presumptions. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't coming to the industry with solutions already prepared without coming out with, you know, some actual evidence. And that's where we kind of looped back in with Kate and the team and said, you know, look, how should we go about this? We know there's a problem. We recognise there's an issue, but we really don't want to you know, dictate it. We want to potentially do another piece of research because, 
you know, the minute you have evidence and research on these things, you get noticed a bit more in your conversation with the world and with sport and with the people at the leadership positions in sport. So it was really that that kind of drove us to look at how we can kick off and start that conversation and how we can do it with the industry and involve them in it. And that's where the idea of a symposium um, came about. And we hailed an event in London and, you know, had sort of decided to invite, you know, 40 of the kind of top industry stakeholders. And that list suddenly turned into 60. And then we had to change venue and pick another venue because we got even more people wanting to be involved in the conversation. And we had this great kickoff discussion and an event where we just opened it really to the floor. And we said to people, come along, tell us your issues, tell us your experiences. We've noticed a problem, but is there actually a problem? And and there was. Uh, and then we took that, took that event and that idea and we took it back to Kate and said, right, how can we how can we go about putting this into another piece of academic research using her expertise so that we know there's an issue, we know people are looking for solutions, but we want to do this right and we want to work with the industry and present it back to them with something that they can actually remain involved with. And that's how we kind of led on to the sort of next phase, um, next phase of the project, which was which was doing the research um, and, I'll, and I'll let kind of Kate talk about that. But I think one of the key things for us was that we had the support of the sport. We had the support of the Racing Foundation and also of Kindred PLC, who really kind of both those organisations said, run with this idea. We'll help you um, financially in doing this piece of data research, which which we then handed over to Kate. Anyone who attended the initial symposium in London will remember the frank, honest, open conversations had there by men and women from across the racing industry, both employers and employees. What was really striking was the stories we heard, both good and bad, about working conditions, maternity pay, returns to work and more. It really was a great event to kick things off and launch the project, and the buzz about the place was so palpable. So then we turned to Kate and her team. I asked her what the aims of the Racing Home project were and how she went about conducting her research. So I think what we really wanted to do, being totally honest, to just to, as a starting point, was to get to the real voice voices of the of the people involved. Um, we wanted to um, make sure that uh that all areas of the sport were represented because, um, as, as, as has been said, you know, the corporate experience can be very different to working in a yard. Um, so I think for us it was uh, creating an environment uh, uh, where we could collect people's stories and um, give them a chance to be open and honest somewhere where they felt that they could be open and honest without it ever kind of being an issue for them. So we tried to create, I mean, this type of type of work, we would always aim to do something like focus groups anyway, because um, we did do some interviews actually with some, some really senior stakeholders to get a feel for um, the leadership view and to kind of join some of the dots across the industry. But our key aim was to create an environment where people could step forward and be honest about something that uh, 
in the past and, 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 and in some parts of the sport continues to be something of a taboo. We wanted to really get to the heart of um, uh, what was going on and to give people a voice right across the industry. Of course, COVID intervened. So um, we had a couple of really wonderful face-to-face workshops. And then just like that, <laughs> we had to take the whole thing online, which, uh, which we managed to do with, with, with quite a lot of um, uh, support from a number of people. So um, we actually ended up um, across the whole, you know, across the whole project involving um, over 100 people in terms of uh, not just at workshops, but, but, but across various different forums, um, able to tell their stories. And we also gave um, the opportunity for people to follow up with us if they had something they wanted to say that they didn't want to say in open forum. I think it's to give, give people a voice that hadn't had one before was our really key issue here. And what sort of conversations were you having in those forums, Kate? What were the kind of common themes that cropped up and and what were the common sort of discussion points that you were hearing over and over again? There were a number of uh, really common themes. It was very interesting for me having worked across a number of different sectors having worked in I've worked in education I've worked in um, I've, I've researched in all different sorts of sectors mostly feminine really feminized sectors and um, uh, it was interesting in particular that uh, the sort of the common themes about having a family um, trying to uh, juggle family life with work um, it was really difficult and not just that that there was um, a kind of taboo around it and we were getting that that was coming from every single part of the, of the of the industry not every single person said it but um it was just a recurring theme time and again that um having a family was something that you didn't really want to talk about because there was a really strong chance it could influence your career um adversely we heard from a number of people from a number of sources and again a fairly common theme that um that young women are often coming into the sector um, knowing that at some point they're going to have to leave if they want a family and that they're going to have to make that choice and that for some some of them were um, actually um, starting to plan an exit strategy at a certain stage. We also had some, you know, got some really fantastic stories about really supportive colleagues and how some employers and some some groups of fellow workers kind of pull together and um, shuffle around their shifts and and kind of help one another. Um, so there was a, a lot of sort of camaraderie and but a, a really strong understanding that if you were going to make a family and horse racing, um, sorry, a family a successful family life and also have a successful career in horse racing, it was always going to be very, very tough. And that was pretty much in every part of the, of, of, of the horse racing as well, because, of course, it's not just in the yards that there are long hours or travel involved or, you know, that, that, that you need to, to, to be on call or that you need to be available in order to, to, to take care of the, the animals. So, um uh, these were the, the themes that, that were coming out across um, pretty much everybody that we spoke to. Kate mentioned the word taboo there and how difficult it is to have conversations around parenthood, pregnancy and family life. There is a degree of shame, a feeling that you're bound to let people down by being away from work for a while and perhaps needing a degree of flexibility when you come back. Racing is by no means unique in this. 
But why is there still a pervasive attitude that a woman can't have a baby and continue a successful career, despite all the evidence to the contrary? I think it's, you know, cultural, uh, globally. Um, (laughs) I think it's not just the horse racing industry. Um, I think, you know, you can't even use the excuse of like, oh, you know, it's a male dominated sport because actually over 50% of the workforce in horse racing are female. Uh, the leadership and maybe in terms of the sports, men and women, and so the jockeys, the majority of them are male. But I think it's it needs cultural change to, to bring about those conversations. And I think, I think, you know, we don't know why it's still not a thing, but someone's got to start the conversation. So we thought we might as well. And I think that was the kind of attitude that we came to it, which was like, no one else is having this conversation at the moment. We need to have it. Personally, I'm, you know, in my early 30s and have a career and really want to kind of keep going in my career and strive to the top of it. At the same time, I also do want a family at some point. So very selfishly, I was like, right, this is going to help me. I need to know the answers to these questions. I need to know what the solutions are, what my options are. I don't know them. I doubt anyone else in the same position knows what their options are. So I think it was a place of, you know, people aren't having the conversation, so we better have it. Let's face it, conversations about having kids can be a minefield. Some people are child-free by choice. Some people are struggling with their fertility. Some people might be considering adoption or surrogacy, and some people just haven't made up their minds yet. It's nuanced and multi-layered with legal implications, and it's no wonder that people struggle to know what they should say, if anything at all, how to say it and when. I asked Talila if there'd been any discussion during the research about how prospective parents would like conversations, with their employers in particular, to be handled. Yeah, I think one of the really interesting pieces that came out of the symposium and then the workshops that we did when we were kind of gathering the the research was it's not just one-sided in terms of an employee's need for that information and a need for that conversation. One of the really interesting pieces for me that came out of it was the employer's position. And actually, a really good employer finds it just as hard to bring up the conversation and to navigate this as the employee. And one of the kind of key things, I think it was Suzanne Homewood, who was part of the symposium, said that as an employer, you know, she wants to have those conversations with her staff in a very open and transparent and comfortable way, because actually she would like to succession plan for herself and not lose staff. And she wants to maybe kind of adapt and change as an employer, how she runs her company and how she, you know, actually makes positive changes to facilitate that. So I think it was a really interesting piece that um, that the other side of it was employers maybe saying, actually, if staff did come to us with their plan, you know, and it, it may not work with everybody, but I think you know if you've got a good employer or not. And, you know, going to the employer and say, yeah, you know, in five, 10 years, I, I do want to be at this company, but I also do want to have a family. How can we work that out together? And that was a really positive piece that came out um 
of of the conversations we had. But then also, you know, horse racing is a is a very hard industry to navigate as an employer. Lots of people are, you know, running businesses and they're also kind of part of a sport and it's a vocation. And we had some of the comments in one of the workshops was, you know, a trainer doesn't class themselves as a CEO, but that's what they are. If you look at it, they're a registered company and they employ people and they're a CEO, but we're quite a vocational sport. So it's also hard for those employers to navigate, you know, how they how they handle this. And they want just as much as advice and guidance as an employee. And that was something that we really wanted to focus on in in those solutions and those actions that came out of the research. And we are going to have a future episode talking particularly about policy and what your rights are. So if you're listening to this thinking, I don't have a clue what my rights are if I were to have a baby or or to be thinking about a family, don't worry, we've got that coming up for you in a later episode. Kate, my next question to you is going to be, you know, we had these focus groups, you've had the interviews, Tallulah's mentioned one or two things there that came out, but what were the sort of overall findings of the project? And can you give us a bit of a flavour really of the sort of things that we found and that have been written up in the in the very sizable and wonderful report that is on the Women in Racing website, if anyone wishes to go and read it. So I think um, one of the things that, 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 that really came out was uh, that although the sport may not really all be seen as completely male dominated it's quite a masculine environment and that's really gone hand in hand with it being quite traditional so one of the things that came out um several times shall we say during the workshops was that um, this this kind of idea that we've always done it this way that particularly because you have to have quite a structured environment that um, we've always done it this way and um, we don't see any reason to change so there is a little bit of intransigence there that could actually be uh, quite a straightforward thing to to do so for example the times that you ride out during the day that could could be changed to be more family friendly that they're actually tangible structures um, they, there are those things that could be tweaked and um, could actually make a huge difference to, to, to people's lives and their ability to fit in family life. I think the first thing I would say is this kind of some of these traditional ideas have been there for, for such a long time. And um, and there's really a need to sort of step back a little bit. And I don't like to use the, the term thinking outside the box, but it's just the easiest to kind of just step back and think, well, actually, if we destroyed all of this and um, built it afresh, how would we do it? And I think that's kind of, you know, and that's not just horse racing. A lot of industries are, are like that and don't have that ability to step outside and see what they can do. One of the ideas, um, I think this was quite a strong idea, is that the industry really needs to think about sustain- its sustainability, but what we would call the leaky pipeline. And this is one of the reasons that you have so many women and so many incredibly talented women working in the in the sector, but that, that fewer of those get through to leadership, but that they drop off many of them around the time that they have children. Um, this kind of leaky pipeline thing was really, really apparent. The facts that so, so many of the people that we spoke to, it would be a reluctant coming you know leaving it was it wasn't that they were thinking right well I've had enough of that now I've done five years ten years in the industry I want to go um 
I want to go and do something different. It was, I don't want to leave, but I have to. And uh, the, the need for, the, the if the sport's going to be sustainable, to, to, to increase the need to stop that happening. Um, so that was really important. I think um, we may have talked a little bit about taboos and like um, the idea of um, there being a stigma attached to pregnancy and maternity. And that's something that... Um, we need to 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 really think about as breaking down and uh, uh, opening up the conversations uh, and and getting people to 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 openly talk about having a family, um, the need for family life, and this is of course this is a, a a cultural change, but it's also it's a change that's happening in wider society. So more and more, um, it's happening very slowly, but more men are, to, are, are being involved in childcare, more men are expecting to take, even if it's a short amount of paternity leave, more men are expecting to do that. And that's something that's a societal shift and the horse racing needs to go along with that if it's going to successfully bring in the next generations of, 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 of people, of, of workers. It's astonishing how many men actually don't take their paternity leave, though. Particularly is, in, yes. I think particularly in yards, the number of guys stable staff that I see at the races regularly you know when they're about to have a baby or their girlfriend or wife or whoever is about to have a baby um and I'll say oh, are you taking your potential leave oh well I might have a day or two but then I'll be back you know I've got to be back riding out or whatever and actually it's incredible that so many people are still either not aware of their right to do so or they don't because they feel that they can't that's not just horse racing, of course. That's that's across society that 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 it's a slow change for men to be taking paternity leave. But there are some sectors where men are more likely. So, if you work in the financial sector, for example, you'd be more likely to 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 take um, paternity leave than you would in somewhere like horse racing. But it is it's slow, but it's but it is a, a shift and. Um, what the sector needs to be doing is to to be encouraging uh, men to, to to take that paternity leave, and it, what it takes to start with is um, for people in high, you know, men who are in positions of um, of authority to be doing that, to be seen picking the kids up from school, etc., and 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 to, to to be to be role models. And I think that's one of the things that came out for us from the um, from the research is that the more and actually a couple of people actually said the words the more women there are picking their kids up from school at a senior level the more men there are leaving early you know to go to a school play or for a sports day or whatever the 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 more that's going to make everyone realize that it's possible to do that and to to have a career in horse racing it's definitely something we recognized um from doing the research and actually it's something that we've pulled through into um the project and the deliverables and the actions from the project um and some of the items that we're going to be launching we have also kind of it's not just about motherhood and mothers we've looked at parents and um parental leave and paternity leave and then also we've touched upon the navigation around um you know what what all of that means in terms of potentially adoption, LGBTQ plus, and you know the our racing industry is made up of a diverse um, workforce. So we need to be thinking about this topic in relation to all the ways that a family or parenthood or caring 
of children kind of impact someone's work. So there were lots of additional threads that came out of the research that we we also are trying to support. Brilliant. That's great to hear that. And we are going to be talking again in future episodes about the different structures of a family and about all the different ways in which you know, child rearing can be done by whoever is involved, whether that's grandparents, same-sex parents, adoptive parents, anything else in between. You know, the phrase, it takes a village, is often used around raising children. And I think that is often incredibly true in the racing industry because so many people are reliant on family support as well. And that was one of the other things that came out, Kate, wasn't it, about this kind of squeeze around families and the need for people to be supported in order to make their career successful do you want to talk a little on that as well so um i think one of the ways in which horse racing is quite unique is its um need for uh, particularly for people working in yards very special type and timings of childcare. you may have very small employers based out quite remotely um, you are start starting early shifts um, if you are traveling with horses on on race days then you know you're you're up at the crack of dawn or even earlier um, we had stories of um, children being picked up in their pajamas at four in the morning and taken to a child minder um, and picked up at goodness knows it's silly o'clock you know later in the day those particular needs really need to be addressed i mean people had pulled together in some way a way of managing it by getting up silly hours going to bed at seven o'clock at night to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and and um uh, calling on relatives and friends and family just you know but but it was very 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 hard for for, for a lot of them i think that's something that the sport really needs to to look at because these weren't isolated issues. You know, this wasn't a handful of people in one place facing this issue. And um, the, the one thing I also wanted to, to mention was about um, rights and entitlements. And it was really, really common for people not to, not only not to understand what their rights were, but also um, not to know where to look. And that applied to childcare too, um, that, uh, um, the, the, some of the some of the women in the um, in in the workshops that we ran said that it wasn't until they were actually pregnant and they suddenly thought, ah, you know, where do I go? And um, they could only find really generic advice anywhere. Obviously, there are some structures that could support them within within horse racing. That's not to say there isn't anything at all, but for some, a bit of a rude awakening when they realised actually how difficult it was going to be to fit everything around having having the baby. And um, uh, and also how difficult childcare was going to be to arrange. So I think one of the big things for us that came out of the the, 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 the research work was that some practical advice and some practical structures in place could go a really long way. As a vet in racing yards, you spend a lot of time with staff in the vet box, taking x-rays and treating horses and talking. There's a lot of chat, and I love hearing about people's lives. I'm constantly amazed at the stories of the lengths people go to to accommodate their kids and their jobs, both of which are really important to them. It's not uncommon, as Kate mentioned, for them to be getting their children up at 5am in their pyjamas, dropping them at a childminder to have another couple of hours of sleep before getting ready for school, and then doing a whole day there. That's a lot for a childminder to agree to. And when you're aged five or seven or nine, that's a lot for you too. It's a long day for everyone. 
As I mentioned earlier, the initial gender and diversity research from women in racing resulted in the formation of the Diversity in Racing Steering Group. So what were the outcomes of this project? And at the risk of sounding a bit corporate, what were the action points that we can start to put into practice in the future? So there were a lot of action points that came out of it, um, which actually was great because that's what we wanted. We wanted to identify all the hurdles that people have to get over to make their lives easier. And those were published as part of the research. Um, and we, you know, released those out into the wider sport. And then once we did that, then the kind of next phase was actually how can we action them? You know, Women in Racing is a organisation that has a volunteer committee of 10. We've got a membership, but we're not a stakeholder as such in the sport. We don't have additional funding. So we were very aware that we had a responsibility to follow through with our findings. But actually, the way to do it was for us to kind of be the catalyst amongst all the stakeholders and work really closely with them. So we took the findings from the research um, and we actually went out to all the stakeholders in the sport. So all the members of the horsemen's group, the British Horse Racing Authority, the race courses, the owners, racing welfare, uh, National Association of Racing staff. And we went to everyone and said, like, right, we need help. Um, <laughs> we're going to do this and we need your help to do it and we need to do it together. Also, there's a number of projects that those organisations are all doing and, you know, running in their sectors of the sport. And we wanted to signpost to those and utilise them. So we actually undertook quite an extensive piece of planning work alongside all the stakeholders. Um, And it was, again, we were very grateful because we had support from the Racing Foundation again for that. And it allowed us to really put together this plan of action and this kind of how are we going to implement so that it's successful piece of work. And that was a kind of an undertaking of another few months um, worth of work alongside Kate and then also the Simply Racing team. We found the problem. We've also got some solutions which have come from the workshops. Now we actually need to implement it successfully. The main one is a website where it's going to have kind of magnitude of information for everybody. You know, we were really conscious that we needed to make sure that, you know, all these findings and all this information that people had asked for was then in a really easily accessible place. So we're going to have the rate, you know, racing home website. And on there, there's going to be information for employers and employees, um, anyone in the industry um, covering all those policies that we need to know about that you spoke about before also signposting to all the services that the sport already has but people don't know about and then also kind of signposting to some of the other initiatives that we're going to be bringing in as women in racing alongside the stakeholders and I think that's going to be our sort of starting place for implementation is you know getting all this knowledge out there for everybody showing those you know best case scenarios best working practice um, you know, getting everyone the information they need. The Racing Home Portal is going to be instrumental in that, in providing those answers that we know people have been asking. It will be a website that goes through an evolution because as we go through this whole process, 
we find out more, more initiatives come through. So it will be constantly updated. And also, you know, we want people to feed back to us what they find useful, what they don't find useful. Because, you know, like we said, this is a topic that has been taboo for so long. We've got to keep talking about it. This isn't the end point for us. You know, we've got some solutions, but we've got to keep going. We should always be striving to adapt and learn. And I think the website will be very much taking that format of adapt and learn so that we can make sure we're continuing to support the sport. It's so easy to be negative in conversations like this. We're an industry stuck in the past. We're so traditional. We don't have these conversations openly enough, etc, etc, etc. But what about all the good things that are already happening? I asked Kate what the positives were that she'd drawn from the workshops and interviews that she'd done for the research. What gave her hope for the future? There are a number of things, actually. Um, I think um, definitely the uh, some already, you know, before even the the, the workshops were, were coming to, to a close, we were starting to hear positive feedback from um, a number of the, the, the trainers' yards. Um, we were also having really positive conversations um, with uh, the education providers in, in, in the sector, talking about ways, for example, to start introducing some of um, some of these ideas and some of the understanding about rights and, and uh, entitlements and some of the uh, ways that you could kind of plan your career, particularly introducing that into training for younger people coming through into the racing colleges and, and etc there, there was some real enthusiasm around that around kind of recognizing that this sort of this idea of the leaky pipeline as the pipeline is coming through that they are given the tools and the understandings of, of, of how they can shape their careers and, and work towards something that's really sustainable so that was great just within the workshops themselves there was a real uh, camaraderie. There was a lot of kind of people saying, oh, gosh, I hadn't thought of that. And, oh, that's interesting. Oh, you know, we could think about doing that just in those small spaces that we had, that we just had those couple of hours of the different, for each of the different workshops. And an acknowledgement that because of the way that people who work in this sector are used to pulling together um, and one of the things that the, one of the sayings that also came out quite a lot during the workshops was making it work. We make it work. We make it work. And I loved that. Um, you don't get that in all the sectors because, of course, this is when not just when you're working with the animals, when you're working, you know, and you're on the front line at race day, if you work in one of the big race courses or whatever, you have to come together as a team. And there was that kind of uh, shared optimism, if you like, that there would be a way to make this work. And there was a real kinship as well, right across the people who were talking from different parts of the of, of the sport as well, understanding that it was always going to be difficult to fit a regular life around working in horse racing at times, because depending on where you work in horse racing, but often it's a real lifestyle thing. But, but that nevertheless, that this was something that was just a really worthwhile project. And um, there seemed to be quite widespread agreement that, that something you know needed to be done and that there would be real value in, in giving these women and hopefully the dads as well the support that they needed. Yeah, amazing. Um, I love that thing of, you know, they've been waking at work forever and ever, but hopefully we can help people to make it work a little bit more easily off the back of this in future. T, is there anything else you want to add? Just that, you know, 
we really encourage everybody to get involved in racing home and it can only be successful if we can spread the word through your peers, colleagues, organisations, employers, people you employ, please do share it. It's there as a resource for everybody. So, you know, we want to help. Uh, There's no kind of way we can do it than everyone else just sharing the love on it. Um, So please help us get it out there. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow the podcast to receive all new episodes as they land. It would really help us if you could rate the podcast and leave a review telling us what you'd like to hear about. This is a resource for you and everyone in the industry, and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. So see you then.